0: Well, good morning, Mount Horeb, 1045 rowdy crowd, glad to be with you. I'm just ready for the raisin cake sermon. I'm ready for Chad to finally bring that and reveal that to us. Um, Looking forward to that one. Uh, My name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and it's an honor to be with you this morning as we open up God's word once again and allow him to teach us something new. I'm really, really glad to be with you. And as you may know, uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Insert Catchy Title Here, um, because we're super creative here at this church. Um, But we have kind of made a framework and opened up things where we as pastors can kind of speak to different topics, things that are really on our hearts and things that we feel strongly about. And the reason is because this series being kind of a grab bag of topics, it's because as pastors who serve in this specific congregation, this designated area, these certain people, there are oftentimes felt needs or communal struggles or pain points that we recognize, and they become kind of things that weigh on our hearts. And so there are many days where I walk around with kind of a low-grade, uh, you know, a longing just below the surface for a congregation that I love to, to come fully awake to all that's available to them in Christ. And so this sermon series is a chance for us to kind of speak to that, to speak from my heart to you uh, the things that I feel very strongly about. And so um, I'm excited to kind of cover this topic. when we Rephrase that. I'm, not, I'm nervous about covering this topic this morning, um, but I feel like it's so important to speak to. I think it's, it's a foundational piece of what it means to follow Jesus. And so this topic is a topic that I'm well acquainted with, if nothing else, because I'm a parent. And parenting, you would think, uh, would be a little easier than it is, but typically, as a parent, you are pitting your will and desire against a tiny human's will and desire, which seems like a total win for a parent any day, right? No. Um, in fact, for my wife and I, we felt like after three kids, we should have kind of figured this thing out. You know, we should have perfected uh, how to parent and we are, we are still working a lot of things out, particularly with my daughter, um, my third born. She's about to be three and her name's Murray. And we've discovered with Murray that she's a whole new formidable force altogether, different from the original two. And we see something come out of Murray, particularly when we tell her the word no. So if Murray wants to do something, we say No, Murray, you cannot feed the dog for the fifth time for the day. Um, That's a problem. And if we say no to Murray, you can't put all that toilet paper into the toilet and then flush it, that'll be a problem. She gets upset about that. If we say no, you can't make a mural on the wall with permanent marker, that too upsets Murray. Because apparently, Murray and I don't agree on the parameters that are set for her and how she handles her freedoms. As an autonomous person, here's what you can do or what you can't do. Parameters that seem sensible and appropriate to me as an adult Uh, to Murray are not sensible at all. And so when we bring these things up when the word no comes out, typically there's a certain response she has kind of perfected recently and it goes something like this. If we say no, Murray takes her tiny hand and puts it up next to her face and then turns her face so she can no longer see us. (laughs) Because apparently if she can't see us, then she can't hear us and she can continue to do whatever she wants to do. And almost always it's followed by this phrase, you're a meanie. And that stings a little bit. And so we say, no, Murray, you can't do this, you can't do that. The hand comes up, you're a meanie, is said, and she proceeds to do the exact thing that she wants to do, even though we said no. So with hand up, face turned away, she drops the food in the bowl anyway, she puts the toilet paper in the toilet anyway, and she continues to make her mural with her free hand. Because we don't agree on what she should be able to do or should not be able to do from time to time. This comes down to the fact that Murray and I don't agree in this particular area. And I would argue this morning that we, much like Murray, we have a difficult time sometimes knowing how to navigate in life and the things that we would do, could do, and should do. How do we determine the ways that we should live our lives as free people with free will placed inside us by God? How should we live our life with the Christian freedoms that have been given to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? And the truth is, just like my two-year-old daughter, nobody likes to be told what to do. And so I've found in my life personally that we, because of our fallen nature, are almost always opposed to any form of authority. When authority is, is existing, we want to push back upon it almost always. I would argue that in our world today, this opposition has even accelerated we see pushback and defiance against almost every major figure of authority in our world today, whether it's teachers in schools, community police, government officials, parental oversight, godly guidance. Whatever it is, too often the response is to push back and to push the envelope when there's boundaries and there's limits that are in place. Now, the reason I wanna speak to this topic today is because I would argue that at the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus At the core of what it means to be a disciple is that we choose to live under the authority of God in every aspect of our life. Which means that we don't call the shots anymore, God does. We don't determine how we will live our lives anymore, Jesus does. But this can be a really difficult thing to determine and to decide on. Now to be very clear this morning, the discussion that we're gonna have today is not exhaustive, okay, okay? So if you leave here and you're like, well, Trevor talked about all these things, but he didn't talk about this thing. What about this? I'm telling you right now, this is not exhaustive. My goal this morning is to talk about framework, to talk about a grid that we could possibly look through to help us to determine how to live life each and every day as we have all kinds of opportunities, as we have so much freedom. How do we decide how we will live? That's what I wanna talk about today. Secondly, what I'm gonna share with you today is not necessarily prescriptive. It's descriptive, So vulnerably, in humility, I wanna share with you some of the ways that this has worked out in my life personally, the way I've wrestled with these things. But again, if you leave here feeling like I've told you then what you should do about that thing, you've missed the point. The point is to honestly wrestle and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us to determine how to live. Lastly, I wanna handle all of our discussion this morning in in full humility. I don't know the best thing for you to do with the opportunities and the freedoms that you have. I don't know. I don't feel like I ought to be able to tell you what you should and should not do. I'll leave that up to the Spirit of God living and dwelling in each side of, inside of each and every one of us. But this morning, I feel like this is something we have to speak to because this problem and the situations that we come across are not new. This is a very, very old discussion. And in fact, in the early church, the early church found themselves asking themselves the same kinds of questions, And so Paul writes to the early church addressing a lot of these things, specifically in the book of 1 Corinthians. He's writing to those who are living in Corinth who are wrestling with this kind of question. What would we do, could we do, should we do? how should we live our life? How do we make the right decision? And the reason was because as a Christian, living in Greek culture in Corinth, uh, there was a delicate dance they had to kind of walk and dance because they were facing all kinds of questions almost always about what was permitted as a follower of Christ and what was prohibited based upon the culture that they lived in. Now, to be clear, Paul does write in the scriptures many places about things that don't seem to give us options. According to Paul, there are certain things he writes about that seem to be the expectation for a follower of God based upon the totality of Scripture. So Paul oftentimes speaks to certain things where he would say, this is not a gray area. This is black and white. This is concrete. For instance, within the Scriptures, there is no place where we would be able to find a location where we could give ourselves permission to have an adulterous relationship. It's it's never permitted. It's not a gray area it's not up for discussion for Paul it's concrete and I would argue that in the culture we live in today if you were to decide to steal something you could be put in jail okay this is not a gray area should I steal should I not steal you don't that's concrete but Paul does write in many different places about the gray areas of our life How do we determine how to live based upon this opportunity, based upon this freedom? What should I choose to do or not to do? The current circumstance of our culture, I believe, echoes the statement made by the great theologian Ian Malcolm in the first Jurassic Park movie, if you remember, when he said, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think whether they should. This is a great question. Maybe too often we're asking the question, could I do this? What if we stopped and instead asked the question, should I do this? Is this the right choice? Is this the right decision to make because the entire Jurassic Park, Jurassic World franchise was built on this one miscalculation because their decisions had far reaching effects. So Paul speaks to those living in Corinth and 1 Corinthians and he's addressing a very specific situation in chapter 10. And this situation required discernment and guidance both for Jewish Christians and for Gentile Christians because a question had arisen about meat that was being sacrificed to idols and false Greek gods because apparently this meat that was used in sacrifices was then making its way into the marketplace in which people would purchase it and then they would cook it and they would consume it. And so a question arose about what should we do about this meat that was used in pagan practice? And so in Corinth, there was large communal dining areas where people would gather together and they would eat with one another in large groups in an open air kind of setting. And so as this meat made its way into the public square, it caused all kinds of conflict and questions for the early Christians on how they should respond. You see, for the Jewish believers, this was a question of conscience. Can I eat this meat knowing what it's been used for in pagan worship? Can I eat this? But for the Gentile Christian, uh, this was not a problem for them. They had lived in this culture daily and they knew these idols had no power. And so for them, the question was, what should we do? How should we handle this situation? It seems to be gray. And so Paul gives them some instruction on how to decide and determine this question. What would we do, could we do, should we do? So here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 through 24. He addresses the issue and then here's what he says at the very end. 23, he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And then he ends in verse 24 by saying, No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So Paul says, As you're wrestling with what to do here, keep this in mind. Though everything, some translations say, is permissible, not everything is beneficial. You see, for Paul, as he's addressing this particular issue, he knew some of the convictions of those who were there was, we're free to do whatever we like. The meat's there, it's tasty, surely we can eat it. In terms of this meat, why shouldn't we? After all, idols have no power, they're just stone and wood, and so there should be no reason not to eat this. But Paul's question is not whether we can or whether we cannot. Paul's question is reframed. He says, is it beneficial Is it beneficial to take part in this thing or that thing? So let me say it this way, Um, I love zebra cakes. In fact, I would choose a zebra cake over a raisin cake any day, okay? Uh, Maybe not the same outcome, but you know what I'm saying. So (laughs) zebra cakes, love them. Uh, Am I free to eat a whole box of zebra cakes? Yes, I am. I could eat a whole box of zebra cakes if I wanted to. Everything is permissible, but the question has to be asked. Is it beneficial? Because I would imagine if I ate a whole, pa- a whole box of zebra cakes, probably four and a half cakes in, I'd be like, this is good. It's tasty. I don't have the sweet tooth that I once had, but I don't know what would happen after that four and a half cake. Things might change a little bit as I work my way the rest of the way through the box. But to answer the question, is it beneficial, I can't just say, is it gonna be tasty? Is it gonna be something that I'm glad I did? But instead, I have to ask the question, what are the long-term effects of taking part of a whole box of zebra cakes in one setting? There's enough sugar there to put me into a coma right away. And the preservatives in a box of zebra cakes, who knows what that would do to me? You see, the question of whether something is beneficial, we have to take everything into account. Am I free to do anything? yes. Paul seems to suggest that anything's permissible. You have free will. You have freedom in Christ to determine how you live your life. The question is not whether you can or you cannot. The question is, is it beneficial for you to take part in this or take part in that? So taking an honest look of whether or not we should do something based upon its benefits is a very important piece of this discussion. And so for the Jew that Paul is speaking to, they could answer this question in one of two ways. The Jewish Christian might say, you know what, I'm going to decide not to eat this meat because of my conscience. I can't rightly eat the meat knowing where it's come from, being used in in pagan practice. But they could also answer this question a different way. I will eat this meat because I know the idols have no power. There's no tainting to this meat, and so surely I can sit down and I can eat it. Now when Paul brings this to the Gentile Christian, they also could answer it in two different ways. They could say, "Surely I could eat the meat," because again, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not been tainted by uh, the pagan practices that are part of them. There's no power there. But secondly, the Gentile Christian might say, "I will not take part in the meat because of what it might mean for my Christian, my Jewish, Christian brother or sister that I sit at these tables with and eat with." How would it impact our relationship? how would it impact their conscience for me to take my freedoms and do that next to them? Someone said earlier, it sounds like Princess Bride, and it does. Surely I cannot take part of the meat in front of you. Anyways, (laughs) this is the question that Paul is raising. And he's using this particular area to kind of have this discussion. And so is this freedom I have to do this or to do that, is it beneficial or is it not? Paul raises a very important question here. We have to consider the communal impact of our decisions how does my decision impact my family? How does my decision impact my friendships? How does my, my decision impact the relationship I have with God? My, my relationship to myself, how do these decisions impact that? Now, we may not be asking questions about whether or not we should eat meat, sacrificed to idols, but I think there are a lot of questions that we should ask as Christians in our culture. As Christians, are we, are we free to consume as much alcohol as we'd like? In our culture, are we free to watch any movie regardless of rating or content? Are we free to take part in any and all recreation activities? Are we free to speak in any manner that we would like to? According to Paul, in these gray areas, we have to ask the question, how does my participation in these things impact the community of believers and non-believers alike around me? Now, at the risk of feeling very, very judged on this stage, I wanna share with you the ways, some of the ways I've worked this out in my own life. Now again, I'm not giving you a prescription here. I'm giving you a description of the way God has worked in my personal life to wrestle with some of these gray areas of life, to determine what is the right decision based upon God's conviction in my own heart. You know, the past few years, there have been certain television shows that have come up on TV, on Netflix, or whatever else that has captured like the cultural fascination with people all kinds of different ones. I won't name them, okay, so just chill. But there've been a lot of them. And a lot of these shows have certain content to it of varying degrees, sexuality and language, violence and so forth, you name it. And for my wife and I, as we have watched these kind of shows come out, I mean, they look compelling. There's storylines, compelling characters, all the things. But we've made the decision not to watch these shows. And the reason we've done it is we just felt like for us, it wasn't beneficial, you know, for say, the sake of my Christian witness as a pastor in this community, for the sake of my marriage, for the sake of my children, I know what some of these shows, the content that exists within there, what it does to my mind, my heart, the lens with which I see the world. And so we've made the decision not to take part in that. And we have other shows to watch, like Shark Tank, which I know mean, it was maybe not quite as exciting, but we love Shark Tank now, I wanna be clear, the people who I know have watched this show have not devolved into some kind of all-consuming darkness. It's not ruined their lives. But for us, this is what we felt like the Lord had led us to as we wrestle with the spirit. Like, we're just, we are just—we don't wanna partake in that. It's the hard work of wading through the freedoms that we have in Christ to determine how to live. Is this decision, no matter what it is, is it beneficial And not only that, but how does it impact people around me and the community around me, my relationship with God, my relationship to myself? I've found that oftentimes, again, as a parent and otherwise, I've heard many people who are coming looking for permission for some kind of thing or another. Hey, I'd like to do this. What do you think about me taking part in this thing? And oftentimes when the permission is being asked is because somewhere on the inside, there's a bit of a check. I don't know about this thing. What do you think? Should I do this? Should I not do this? And I would argue that check that exists within inside of us is, is a barometer that comes as creatures who are created in the image of a moral God. Oftentimes a check comes when it comes to determining how to live our life. And I think it's something to pay attention to. When that happens, it should prompt us to say, is this decision beneficial? How will it impact my family? How will it impact people around me? Even though I'm free to do it, it's permissible. Is it beneficial? Should I go there? So, am I free to text that married woman periodically without my wife knowing? You can. Is it beneficial, though? Am I free to put in front of my children's face a phone, a television, a computer screen, I'm preaching to myself for a second, okay? So I can survive parenting? Can. Is it the most beneficial? Am I free to have conversation with ladies around the pool bashing our husbands because everybody else is doing it? I mean, you can, but is it the most beneficial? Because what I have found is in areas like this, these are the seeds that are potentially sown for sin later on. Right now, maybe not that big of a deal, but unfortunately, too often when we have innocent conversation, it can easily turn into an emotional affair. When we are looking for some kind of easy way just to get a break, it can become a dependence for children. Or, what about a little harmless gossip? Easily can become deep resentment. So, can I or can't I? Everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. If there's a check in your spirit. Ask God, what should I do in this particular situation? It takes discernment to choose, and we must consider not. No matter what the choice, we have to consider the impact of the relational outlets that we have, communally, between us and others, us and ourselves, and ultimately us and God. Above all else, this is Paul's concern. Is it beneficial? Paul actually offers us another way to think about this as well. He writes about it often within the scriptures, so it's no surprise that another book he would talk about this as well. Because he understands there's gray areas in learning how to live, not just for early Christians then, but also for Christians today in our culture, determining how to live our lives. So he speaks to this about what we would do, could do, or should do. And Paul lays out, in Ephesians chapter five, this whole background to the followers of Jesus. He says, don't forget that you used to once walk in darkness, but you've been rescued by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. He now shines light inside of you so that he might shine light through you. And so in light of all that Paul then says this in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 and 16. He says, "So be careful. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil." So Paul says in light of all this, you have to be careful how you live so that you live with wisdom and so you don't make mistakes. And the reason Paul says these two things is because he understands that we live in a day that is evil. Now, I'm not the guy that's like a devil behind every bush. Please hear me. I'm not that guy. But if we are tempted to believe there's not an adversary in the world that we exist within who would love to kill, steal, and destroy, then we are sorely mistaken. The evil one will take any opportunity that he can to wreck our lives and the lives of those around us. He loves to do it. So Paul says, because of that, we have to be careful to live wise lives and not unwise. Paul does a great job of bringing this particular question about because the framework that we're building here, first and foremost, starts with this. If I'm making a decision, how does it impact people around me? Is it beneficial? But then also, I would argue, Paul says there's another way to think about this. Is too think about this also. Pastor Andy Stanley does a great job of writing about this in one of the best books I've ever read, called The Best Question Ever. And in this book, he says, the question is really, what's the wisest choice? I want to be clear, not what I want to do most, not what would be easiest, not what would culture expect, not what would make me most popular, not what would be most convenient. Andy Stanley says, what is the wisest choice? So he gives us a three-part framework for this. If you want to make the wisest choice so you live as wise and not as unwise, you have to look at your decisions and opportunities based upon your past experience. What have you gone through in the past that would inform your present? You know, we tried that relationship one time. It didn't go well. We both kind of left hurt. Maybe we shouldn't try that again. You know, last time I disobeyed my parents in that particular way, it caused tension in the family. Based upon past experience, I'm not gonna do that again. You know, this thing, that thing, all the past experience. Have you learned anything from what you've gone through? And if you have, where there's pain and where there's difficulty, where there's struggle and tension that may have been created, learn from that thing to help inform the decisions that you're making now. Students in the room, please listen to me. What have you learned from what you've gone through? What have you learned from what your parents have gone through? Apply that to the decisions you're making right now. So Andy Stanley says, what's the wisest choice based upon your past experiences? Then he says, what's the wisest choice based upon your current circumstances? Based upon your present reality, what's the wisest choice? I really want to buy that thing, but my bank account says zero. Don't buy that thing. That's the wise choice based upon your current circumstance. I'm a pastor who serves in Lexington, South Carolina, There are permissions that I have to do things based upon my free will, my freedom in Christ, but there are times where I say no based upon my current circumstances, for my Christian witness, for my opportunity to serve in this community. You know, I wanna go out and hang out with the boys, but there's a new baby at home. Maybe that's not the wisest choice based upon current circumstances. What's the wisest choice based upon past experience, current circumstances, and here's the big one. What's the wisest choice based upon your future hopes and dreams? What kind of person do you wanna be one day? What kind of dad do you wanna be? What kind of mom do you wanna be? What kind of spouse do you wanna be? What kind of employee do you wanna be? You know, I could, I could go to that website, click that picture, do this thing, but what would that mean for my marriage? Anything's permissible. Not everything's beneficial. And if I wanna be this kind of person in the future that God wants me to be, I have to make decisions, guess what, not then, I gotta make the decisions now. What is the wisest choice with the freedoms that I have based upon past experience, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams? This is a helpful framework. How does it impact people around me? Is it beneficial and is it the wisest choice? Stanley, lastly, speaks to this last piece right here, and I think it's really important for us understanding how we should live. See, many years ago, um, when my wife and I got married, we made the decision kind of early on in our marriage. Please hear me again, a little disclaimer. Not prescriptive, okay, descriptive. How I've wrestled with this in my own personal life. Uh, My wife and I made the decision years ago to have a combined Facebook. So I am Trevor Jenna Miller. Is that awkward? Sometimes. Yeah, find me on Facebook. It's Trevor Jenna Miller. I said your middle name's Jenna? I'm like, no, it's... It's actually Alvin, which is even worse. But like, <laughs> that's true. Um, no, no, my, my wife and I, we've, we've just decided to have a combined Facebook for, for a lot of reasons. I've got a lot of past history that's, that's behind me before we ever got married. I, don't, I, want, I want full disclosure in terms of who's sending messages and who's befriending and that kind of stuff. And, you know, is it a little awkward to kind of like deal with that sometimes and get somebody to follow me on Facebook with this kind of thing? I mean, sure. But I highly, highly value the transparency of our relationship through social media, so much so that I'd rather sacrifice that. I just think it's the wise thing for us based upon past experience, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams. And this, this plays out in all kinds of ways within our relationships with one another and personally. Things that we choose not to do that might be very different from the world around us. I just wanna say this for a second. As a Christian, you should look different from people around you. That is actually a good thing. If you're a teenager in the room and you go to school locally here in Lexington and you choose to not partake in certain things and someone notices it and you get made fun of, here's what I want you to do next time. I want you to say, I'm so glad you noticed. Thank you for taking note of the fact that I was unwilling to do that thing or go to this place. And here's the thing, the goal is not perfection. The goal is not to be holier than thou. The goal is not to somehow be smarter than somebody else. The goal is wisdom. What is the wisest choice? That's the one I wanna make based upon the person that I wanna be, what I believe God has called me to. There's one last place that I wanna visit before we wrap up. And it's another piece of Paul's framework in 1 Corinthians. After the whole discussion about meat that should be eaten or shouldn't be eaten, this whole discussion about paying attention to those around us, what's beneficial, what's beneficial, even after Ephesians 5, we've just gone through this framework to help us decide what's wisdom. Then Paul says what I believe is the most important framework we could possibly have for our lives. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. He says this. So whether you eat or drink, now, first and foremost, do you see Paul's kind of sentence here? You decide. Like if you're gonna eat the meat, that's okay. If you decide not to, that's okay too. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, but look how he ends it, do it all for the glory of God. You see, Paul's final framework is this. If you wanna know how to live wise lives in this world, if you don't wanna know what decisions to make, because we would, we could, we should, we could do anything, everything is permissible, permissible. not everything is beneficial, Paul says, don't forget this. Do everything in your life in such a way that it brings glory to God. If you're a teacher, teach in such a way you bring glory to God. If you're a parent, parent in such a way you bring glory to God. If you're a pastor, do it in such a way you bring glory to God. No matter what you do, whether you eat or drink, the decisions you make each and every day, no matter what it is, do it all for the glory of God. This is how Paul leaves it for those in Corinth to decide how to live. You see, because ultimately it's not about just considering people around us, that's not quite enough. It's not just about being wise, that's not quite enough. Paul says what is enough ultimately is this decision is about God. The decisions of my life, the way I use my Christian freedom and my free will is about the glory of God. And if God is not a part of the conversation, not a part of the equation, then this whole conversation is completely debunked. Like, if God is not a piece of your decision-making within life, then every other framework that we've just created falls apart. Here's how the Russian novelist and writer, Fyodor Dostoevsky, said. He said it this way. He said, if there is no God, everything is permissible. Like, if God is not real, if it's all a fairy tale, all bets are off. If there's no foundation or pivot piece of consideration, the rest of the framework that we've just given falls apart because without a moral God to look to, who is to say what is permissible and what is prohibited? If God doesn't exist, then we don't have any kind of grounds to condemn hatred, racism, cheating, bullying, murder, greed. Because who's to say that it's wrong? It's simply opinion. And if God doesn't exist, then who are we to side with things like generosity or love or equality or brotherhood or honesty or faithfulness? Because who says those things are good? If God does not exist, then everything is permissible. And the foundation of what I believe my conviction within my life is that God is indeed real. And he's created us as moral beings and placed within us a moral compass to know how to live. And because of that, he should be a part of the conversation. And our lives should be a reflection of his presence within the world that we might bring him glory. Now this word that Paul uses, this word glory, is the Greek word doxa. It's a great word. And it, and it literally is translated as honor or renown. But it's closely connected to the Old Testament word kavod, which means weight or significance. So if you wanna decide what to do, because everything's permissible but not everything's beneficial, if you've got opportunities in front of you, the question might be, does this decision bring weight and significance to God? Does it bring him glory? So as we entertain all these decisions that we have to make each and every day, I believe that we have to consider, as Christians with a deeply cultivated love for God, does it bring him glory? Pastor and author Chuck Swindoll wrote about this handling of Christian freedom in a book called The Grace Awakening. And he tells about a time when he first got his driver's license, a bit of freedom in your hand. Some of us in the room, you can relate to this. I know what that felt like. Here's what he says in his book. He says, holding the keys to his car, my father tossed them in my direction and he smiled. He said, tell you what, son, you can have the car for two hours all on your own. Only four words, but how wonderful all on my own. I thanked him, I danced out to the garage, I opened the car door, I shoved the key into the ignition. He says, my pulse rate must have shot up to 180 as I backed out of the driveway and roared off. He says, while cruising along, all on my own, I began to think wild stuff. Like, this car could probably do 100 miles an hour. Anybody guilty? I could probably get to Galveston and back twice in two hours. If I averaged 100 miles an hour, I could fly down the Gulf freeway and even run a few lights. After all, nobody's here to say don't. We're talking dangerous, crazy stuff, he writes. But you know what? I didn't do any of them. I don't believe I drove above the speed limit. In fact, I distinctly remember turning back into the driveway early. I didn't even keep the car out for the full two hours. Amazing, huh? I had my dad's car all to myself with a full tank of gas in a context of total privacy and total freedom, but I didn't lose myself. Why? Because my relationship with my dad was so strong that I couldn't. Even though I had a license and nobody was in the car to restrain me, over a period of time, there had been developed a sense of trust, a deep love relationship that held me in restraint. as we are faced with freedoms all around us, the big question we have to ask ourselves is, do we love God? Do we really love him? Do we want our lives to speak to his weight and his significance? And if we do, that should have some kind of parameters around what we decide to do each and every day. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. What if we developed the kind of relationship with God where we saw that as significant? We wanna bring him weight with the way we live our lives. I wanna be very clear today. I don't know what you should do or you shouldn't do about the opportunities that are before you. I certainly don't consider myself qualified to tell each and every one in this room what you ought or you ought not to do. I wanna leave that up to the spirit of God living and dwelling inside of you. So this morning, may we have ears to hear and eyes to see all of the many ways that we have the opportunity to bring glory, weight, and significance to God with the things that we choose to do with our life. Would you pray with me? God, many of us in this room this morning have been in this Christian thing for a long time. We've been followers, believers, we've been saved, you name it, we've, we've been here for a while. But God, I just wanna confess this morning that, that following you is still such a mystery. And it, it is certainly hard to live in such a way in the culture that we exist within, the world we exist within, in the kind of way where we take into account the way our actions impact people around us, to decide whether something is beneficial or not to learn how to live wise lives based upon past experience, current circumstances, and future hopes and dreams. And God, it's really hard to know how to live because we wanna bring you glory. We wanna make you famous. We wanna add to your weight and your significance within the world. So God, would you you gift us with your Holy Spirit? Would you make our hearts sensitive to you? Would you give us the courage and the boldness to do what's right, no matter what it might mean for us. And I pray, God, you'd help us to carry all of this with humility, with open hands, knowing that you have helped us by your spirit to live in these gray areas of life. Father, above all else, I pray that every one of us, when we leave today, that we would make decisions, we would treat people in such a manner, and we would would make decisions in such a way that people would see you in our lives. So God, we love you today. We love you. May that be the very thing that keeps us in restraint, living in right relationship with you. So Lord, it's in your name.